Our sermon text this morning is Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 38. That will be on page 724 of the House Bible. If you don't have a Bible or if you know someone who needs a Bible, please take that one with you today. Ezekiel 36, 22 through 38, on page 724. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled, instead of being a desol the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock. Like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Thank you, Megan. On some point between 11 p.m. last night and 11 a.m. this morning, my voice started sounding like this. I beg your best attention, and I will give you my best as well. Let's pray. Father, who could possibly fully encapsulate and communicate the meaning and the message of your deep and powerful word? I pray that as your word is preached this morning, that you might help me, a weak vessel, be used that those here might hear from you. And I pray for those who are here gathered today, Father, that you might help them hear your word today, not only with the ears on their heads, but the ears in their hearts. That they might know you, love you, praise you, thank you, 
believe in you and in your son and live for you. Father, some here may be following you but are discouraged. I pray that you would encourage them today. Some may be here who are walking in unrepentance, who are fighting and wrestling against you and protecting sin. And Father, I pray that you would convict our hearts. That's us. In all the ways you know we need it, Father. Each one of us individually, us as a church, would you convict us? Would you encourage us? For your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Well, there are a lot of people who claim to be with God, to speak to God, to know Him, to be included in His people. Maybe you've heard the phrase, we're all God's children. Actors will thank God for their awards. Country singers will pray to the man upstairs about their truck or their dog. Perhaps in the football game tonight, at the end, you might hear someone thanking God for their win. Actually, I heard an interview this week. It was actually a very encouraging interview by one of the quarterbacks in the Super Bowl tonight, just expressing his faith and even quoting Scripture and including a part of his prayer that the Holy Spirit would help him read the defense, (laughs) which I took a little issue with but because I also wondered, what if someone on the defense is a Christian? And they're praying that their linebacker runs over you. What prayer might God answer? Well, as everyone who invokes God's name, calls upon him, thinks of themselves as God's people, are they actually God's people? How can you have confidence that you're actually in the people of God? How, how do you come into being the people of God according to Scripture? Well, an environment like our day today, we've got to be very careful about to whom God has given his name, his reputation. Who in the world has God connected himself to in order that he might be known by the rest of the world? Just think about this. If you want to become a citizen of Sweden, and maybe this is something you've been contemplating lately, I'm a citizen of Sweden. Can you simply go online, buy a Swedish flag, bring it home, plant it in your front yard, and declare out loud, I am a citizen of Sweden? Can you do that? You could do that. It would not make you a citizen of Sweden. If you wanted to become a citizen of the United States, for example, or any country for that matter, you have to file papers, you have to sit in an interview, you have to pay fees, you have to give your fingerprints. You simply can't just declare yourself to be a citizen on your own terms. The the USCIS, Citizen Immigration Services, must actually approve your application. We will tell you, they say, when you get to call yourself a citizen. And only upon their approval can you go to a court of law and stand before a United States court judge and make a legally binding oath to commit yourself as a citizen of the United States. Well... How do you become a part of the people of God? How do you come to actually be one of the people who bears his name on the earth and can say, I am one of God's children, one of the adopted children, as we read in Galatians this morning, for which Christ was sent? Can you just walk into a church? Do you sign a card? Is there just a a class that that you can take in college? Maybe after looking around all the world religions, you simply just pick Christianity as the one that seems most beneficial and most, most viable to you, so you, you go for that one. I want to share with you this morning how the Bible shows people become the people of God. How is it that anyone could go from a lost and estranged and a rebel against God in their sin and disbelief to actually being called a child of God or the new covenant people of God, a people who are in his name. We're looking this month and the next, this week and the two weeks following, finish a series in his name. 
looking at some fundamental understandings of what it means to be a church, what it means to be the people of God. And today, we're answering that question, how do you come to be the people of God and bear his name? And the simple answer is this in a sentence, which we'll be unpacking all this morning. Through the new covenant in Jesus Christ, God is making a people for himself heart first. Heart first. Through the new covenant in Jesus Christ, God is making a people for himself heart first. Heart first. This is the progression of God's redemption through the Bible. From what the Bible calls the Old Covenant, or essentially referencing what we would look in our Bibles as the Old Testament, as the first half of the Bible, and the transition to the second half of the Bible that we would call the New Testament, or to summarize, the New Covenant. Well, to understand who the people of God are today, we have to see that shift from the first half of your Bible to the second half of your Bible. From the time before Jesus Christ to the time of Jesus Christ. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, not everyone in the world was considered the people of God. There are those who are saved and rescued as the people of God, and there are those who are not the people of God, as rest of the nations. In the Old Covenant, was the people named Israel. God chose Abraham and his descendants to be his covenant people. God chose them. He chose Abraham out of all the peoples of the earth and made a covenant with him and said, you're going to be my people and I will be your God. It was an exclusive relationship with Abraham. You are my people and your descendants will be my people and I will be your God. A sentence God continued to reiterate through Moses and through the history of the people of Israel. And so in that way, the people of Israel took God's name. They represented God. They had God as their God. Other nations had other gods, but they had Yahweh, the creator, as their God. They were to be the people who showed the world, this is what Yahweh is like. This is what he does. God set them up perfectly in Israel, led them out of Egypt across the Jordan into the promised land. He gave them everything they needed, everything they needed and more. It was great. You find yourself through the book of 1 Kings. We've been reading with men on Wednesdays and Fridays. I welcome you to join our Bible studies with our men on Wednesdays and Fridays at 7 on Wednesdays and 12 o'clock here at the church every Wednesday and Friday. We see in 1 Kings, there's kind of a crescendo of the development of the kingdom on the earth. At this time, Israel had wealth. They had God's wisdom in their king. They had military power. They had a national pride. They had loyalty. They had administrative leadership and resources. And they had the temple. They had the temple where God himself came to dwell and be with his people, actually present with them. It couldn't get any better than this. So what went wrong? What went wrong? Everything went terribly wrong. Everything was ruined. The thing that gave way when the temple and the kingdom had been established in Israel was their hearts. Their hearts. They had God They had everything they needed to honor God and to make his name great in the world, but their hearts worshipped other gods instead. This would be as gross as being commissioned to build a memorial for Martin Luther King Jr., but using those funds and resources to build a memorial in the image of the Confederate flag. It would be like being asked to honor those who died in 9-11 and instead building a memorial to Al-Qaeda in their name and their honor and their praise. God saved his people, made them his people, and they honored other gods. Their hearts were not faithful to the Lord. 
And we need to understand something that I don't think gets mentioned enough today. God was angry. God was angry. You read through the book of 1 Kings, you'll see that generation after generation, king after king, the Bible says over and over and over, it just keeps repeating, they provoked the Lord to jealousy with their idols, and he was angry. He repeats that phrase over and over and over. Well, I think we could imagine the horror and the national outcry and anger if our tax funds were paid for a memorial for 9-11 and they got turned around into a statue for terrorists. Now, how much more when we who were made in God's image, each and every one of us made in God's image, how much more when we take our lives and we use them for sin instead? And how much more Israel, who has been doubly redeemed, who has been chosen as God's people, set up in the kingdom, given the temple, given Solomon, given everything, and yet their hearts went after other gods. God was angry, and because of their sin, and because they profaned God's name among the nations, God destroyed the city of Jerusalem. He killed the majority of the people in Israel by famine, by sword and fire, and the rest were taken into captivity into Babylon out of Israel. Well, that's a short version of the history of the first half of the Bible. God did bring those people back. did bring them back to Israel, but it was not the final hope for his people and for his name. I would just ask you this morning, before we continue just to stop and make sure you are taking God's name seriously. Do you know that God is jealous for his name? You may need to go back and listen to last week's sermon and get even more context from Ezekiel chapter 36. But God is not just some child who gets their feelings hurt when someone says something bad about him. God's not moody like that. That's how the Roman gods are. They're, they're moody. That's how Greek gods are, but not God. God is holy and just, and he created all things, and all glory and all honor and all praise are due to him. So he is just to judge even his own people who take his name in vain and say, I am God's people, and yet live their lives and worship false gods, forsaking him. Let me just ask you, is that in any way you this morning? Do you consider yourself to be with God, to be in party with God, to be in communion with God, to be okay with God, to have God's favor? Well, surely there are many evil people out there in the world. What about you and your relationship with God today? God commands both his Old Testament people and his New Testament people, his Old Covenant and New Covenant people, not to take his name in vain. Not to say that you are God's people and then entirely ignore God with the rest of your life. It dishonors God like a husband saying his vows at the altar but taking another woman home that night. In fact, that is exactly how God describes his people throughout the prophets. As those who take his name in the old covenant in vain, he refers to them as a wife out for hire. And let's just be honest, there are a lot of people who love to take God's name and say, I thank God for this award or for this win or for this job or for my life or for this or that prosperity, but we don't really know who God is. Just like God said of Israel in Isaiah 29, 13, this people draw near with their mouth and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Well, in the Old Covenant, God made it very clear, no more taking my name in vain. No more. He will not stand for this generation after generation. And this is the shift from the Old Covenant people of God to the New Covenant people of God. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Covenant, God made a people, but their hearts rebelled against Him. Their hearts gave way, even when everything around them was perfect. 
I think it's one of the most helpful things to me in the last few weeks in, in our preaching is just to remember in Israel, God had made everything around the people perfect. Their lives were perfect. It was great. It was wonderful. But they sinned inside. Isn't it, isn't it so easy? to? Don't we just do this all the time? Don't we just think if God would make everything around me better, I would be a better person? I won't get so frustrated. I won't get so angry. I won't be so jealous. I won't get so mad all the time if everything would just get fixed around me. And the entire Old Testament story is God saying, I fixed everything, and then you guys ruined that. I gave you the garden. It was perfect, and, and that was, you turned away there. Now, in the new covenant, God is doing something. God is doing something new in the new covenant, and he is starting in the new covenant with people's hearts. Hearts first. Last week, we saw that God brought destruction upon Israel for his name's sake. God had concern for his holy name, and his people took his name in vain. So God acted out of concern for his name. He's not going to let his name be dragged through the mud in perpetuity. We see people today who are passionate about memorials and statues. How much more should we be passionate for God's name? Because he's acting according to his name in the new covenant, just like he is in the old covenant. Just like God acted for his name in destroying the people who had taken his name in vain, now God is in the new covenant going to make a new people for his name's sake also. The second part of the same chapter from last week is what Megan read for us. Look again, Ezekiel 20, uh, chapter 36, Ezekiel chapter 36, and see the same purpose up at the front, that just as God disciplined his people for his name's sake, he's also ushering in the new covenant for his name's sake, for his glory and reputation. Ezekiel 36, therefore say to the house of Israel, verse 22, thus says the Lord of the God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. See what God's doing? God's saying, it's not for you and for your sake. It's for me and for my name. O house of Israel, that I'm about to act for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. God says, and I will vindicate the holiness of my name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you, you the people, so God's going to make himself known among the nations through you the people, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I'm going to make myself known not just outside of you, but through you in the new covenant. But what he's going to do in verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I want to take out that rock that's in your chest and give you a fleshly, blood-beating heart. This, of course, is a reference to the spiritual state of a person. And I will put my spirit within you, God's personal spirit. I says, I'm going to put it within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all uncleanness, and I will summon the grain to make it abundant and lay no more famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree an increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let that be known to you. It is not for your sake that God will bring about the new covenant, declares the Lord. Let that be known to you. Well, see how Jeremiah the prophet also describes this shift from the old to the new. You should hear familiar language with a clear distinction from the old to the new. Jeremiah 31 verse 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I had made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. You hear that language? For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. That will be their God, and they shall be my people. When God brings people into his new covenant people, he brings them heart first. Not even mind first necessarily, for even demons believe truths about God. In the book of Mark, for example, it's demons who are the of the first people to recognize who Jesus is, the Holy One from God. God is making a new kingdom, a new kingdom people, a new covenant people, through heart first. Where the old covenant provided every part of the kingdom but the heart itself, the new covenant people will be made beginning with God's work in the heart of His people. This is how God today is bringing people into his covenant people under his name by beginning with the heart. Let me just be very clear about some things that are very simple just to make sure that we're on the same page about what the Bible is saying and shifting from the old to the new covenant. You don't become the people of God because of your parents. Just because your parents are or were Christians or had faith, does not mean that your heart has changed. You don't come in by your parents and their faith. You don't become the people of God by going to church. God's not really impressed with church attendance. Attending religious services, going through religious rituals, even baptism and the Lord's Supper, those things don't save you from their sins. If ever there was a people who could be saved by religious ceremony, it was Israel. They had all the ceremonies in the temple itself, and their hearts were far from God. We're not Christians because we went to VBS or because we went to summer camp or because we signed a card. You don't become the people of God either by trying to be a really nice person. Your heart never changes, but you try really hard to be good. Maybe you have a 1% plan, you give money away to charities. You try to be really nice at work. You try not to gossip too much at work. Maybe you try to help poor people every now and then. That's not what brings you into the covenant people of God, trying to be good. You don't even become a people of God by being a student of the Bible itself. Just loving Bible study and studying the Bible, that's not necessarily what it means to be a, a Christian, to be in the new covenant people of God. As one author says, simply being taught the commands of God doesn't give anybody the ability to love God or keep those commands. That's the same problem Israel had. They had all the commands. They studied the law. The Pharisees memorized more scripture than most people in this room, I'm sure. And they hated God. One of the things that we've seen, which is sad and so gross, is that many who have known the most Bible in the world sometimes are the worst people and are truly not in the name, truly not saved. I mean, we've seen it. Let's just be honest. We've seen it, the headlines in the recent decades, how many evangelical leaders in the West, big churches, big names, small churches, rural, urban, there's as much scandal and lying sometimes in the shepherds in the church as outside the church. Being a leader in the church doesn't save anyone. Being a really Bible-educated leader doesn't make you the people of God. No, we are saved. See, the shift from the old covenant to the new covenant. We are saved from our sins. We become part of the people of God from the inside out, from the inside first. God doesn't take us to a new place first. He doesn't give us a new circumstance first. He starts inside of us first. We are only true the people of God so much as we have that new covenant promise wherein God has given us his spirit and given us his heart on the inside. 
That's who the true new covenant people of God are. Those who have been inwardly transformed by the Spirit of God. Isn't this what you want? And isn't this what we, if we were honest and we could just be still for a minute, we would really just admit that we ache for in this culture? We might hide it and, and depress it. We might even rebel against the knowledge of it. We live in a culture that tells us over and over and over there's nothing wrong with us on the inside. The outside world is terrible, but your heart is good, your heart is right, your heart is true. Trust your heart. Listen to your heart. Your heart knows the direction to go. But I think if we're honest, if we got along with ourselves for a few minutes, we would all confess, I don't really think that about me. And my heart is so wayward. I'm talking about myself. And my heart is so wayward on its own. We, we don't naturally love God. We don't naturally want to do what is holy and righteous according to God, both in our hands and in our hearts. That's the new covenant hope, that you could get a heart that is good like God, that you could have God's own spirit come into your soul, into your chest, and make something new, transform you, change you, entirely from the inside out. We know this about our hearts. This is one of the fundamental reasons addictions exist. We're trying to get away from ourselves. So we'll use everything from drugs and sex and money and all kinds of addictions. It doesn't even have to be those things. It could just be a cell phone and a social media app. Anything to keep me distracted from my own heart and my own mind, just so long as we don't have to really face ourselves and our mortality. We see what the Bible proclaims without apology. There's no one who is good, no one seeks God, no one is righteous on their own. We are crooked deep down. Well, the new covenant is this. God does not leave man to himself, but is making a new covenant people for himself, not by outwardly establishing a kingdom on the earth, but establishing his kingdom through his covenant in the hearts of his people. Here again, the new covenant that is under the authority and the reign of Jesus Christ, the head of the new covenant, like Abraham and Moses were heads of the old covenant. In that new covenant under Christ, the promise is to you today, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you the heart of flesh, a spiritual living heart. What can we do but come to God? This is our relationship with God. What can we do but come to God and give up? And just give surrender ourselves to Him. Quit trying to convince people that you're not sick in your heart. Quit trying to act to God as if you are really good and God should be impressed with you. Acknowledge you need God to change you on the inside. That's what it means to become the people of God. Come to God and acknowledge, I see the problem. And it's not just the world out there, it's me in here. And oh God, would you give me a new heart? Would you give me your spirit? Would you transform me as I look and put my faith in Jesus Christ? Come to the head of the new covenant, Jesus Christ, and be born again through faith in him. That's how we become part of the people of God. That's how we come to bear God's name, by inward transformation of faith and allegiance toward him. The Bible speaks about this in different ways. It speaks about it as going inwardly from death to life. In Ephesians chapter two, we were dead but raised. In 1 John, it talks about going from darkness into light as being healed and being blind to be able to see from unbelieving to believing. John chapter three calls it being born again Titus 2 refers to it as regeneration, transformation inside by the power of the Holy Spirit looking in faith at Jesus Christ. We summarize it in our statement of faith like this at this church. This is from Article 4, Part A of our statement of faith, which is just a, a summary. It's our personal, not our personal summary, but our summary that we share about what we believe God is generally saying in the Bible. When we talk about salvation, we talk about regeneration or the new birth 
being a work of God's grace, whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It is a change of heart, wrought, I love that old word, wrought by the Holy Spirit, the conviction of sin, to which the sinner responds in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, just as the old covenant people were connected to Abraham as blood relatives and that covenant head, now the new covenant people are connected to Jesus Christ through faith. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our connection to God in the new covenant. How we become part of the people of God. We hear the good news about Jesus Christ, which we've been singing and reading this morning. That Jesus is God's son and he is the head of everything God is doing new in the new covenant. And that Jesus died for our sins. No priest going in and out forever. Jesus himself was the priest in this kingdom. And he died on the cross and shed his blood for our sins. That our sins might be forgiven and we would be justified before God. And Jesus raised from the dead. He he conquered death. Not just the enemies of the nations around Israel, but death itself. And Satan himself. And the people of God are those whose hearts have been transformed from the inside and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the new covenant people of God. Who are the people of God? Who have been brought under his name? Those whom God has transformed by his spirit in their heart through faith in Jesus Christ. I just encourage you to ask yourself if today you are truly a part of the people of God. You're truly a part of the people of God. Being a member of the church locally doesn't even ensure that you are a part of the people of God. Only if, as 2 Corinthians says, God has shown in your hearts to give light the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Who is a Christian? Who is the new covenant people of God who bear God's name? Those who draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's us in Christ. Friends, this is what we mean by those who will be baptized today. We're signifying to everyone that these are the people of God. Not because they signed up for a class, not even necessarily because of what they say. Our statement of faith says, repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. We've seen their lives too. Though not perfect, by far, we see in their lives something that shows us the faith they profess with their lips has happened first as faith in their hearts. That's what it means to be a member of a church. That's what it should mean. I wasn't planning on saying this. I didn't didn't put this in my notes, but I was at a a meeting recently with pastors. And one of the men there had recently met with the CEO of Barna Research Group. I think that's like a Christian churchy research group. I don't know. Maybe political too. The research did a study. What is the average number, the average percentage of the members of a local church who are actually truly disciples who are following and trusting Jesus? Which is a sad question in and of itself to even have to ask. What's the average number of people who are truly disciples following Jesus who are members of a church? What might that number be for you? What, do you, what would you guess? 95? 80? 60? Maybe if you've been in a really bad church, 40? I kid you not. The number we were given was 4%. <laughs> I mean, you have to cry or laugh at this kind of stuff. It's sad. And I, I could argue with the way the question was framed and uh, you know, I, I didn't really do very well in the statistics in college, but I could probably do enough to kind of look around and see where, where, how we get to this number. But if it's even close, I asked some of the pastors who are dear friends of mine, what do you think is the average percentage of true Christians in your church, knowing that maybe there may be some people who are in your church who are not Christians? And the men came back 90%, 85, 95 There are some who make me wonder, but I'm pretty sure most of the people in my church are Christians. Friends, I think this happens when we're careful about who we baptize, for one. We're careful about who we give the name of Christ, the name of the Father, 
in the first place. Two things really quick to close. One would be careful. Be careful. It's always crucial for the people of God to be very careful with the name of God. Always. But it is especially critical in this moment in our nation's history. I know there's a lot of confusion about who really is with God. Some people think that being a Christian is kind of a, a political position that you can take. You know, there's more Christians on the right or there's more Christians on the left. One is better than the other. Some people think that Christian is kind of a cultural thing that you could do coming from a Christian background. Oh, friends, the world needs a very clear message from us, the church, about what it means to be the people of God. What it means to truly be saved from sin by faith in Jesus Christ and having that wrought by the Holy Spirit in your own hearts and minds. That is not a cultural engagement. We've seen that to be a Christian means that you become the people of God by the Holy Spirit bringing about new life in your heart as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Let me just encourage you to be careful about your own soul and about those who are around you. Are you truly a part of God's covenant people? Probably one of the most encouraging uh, and almost humorous testimonies I've had over the years uh, was from our associate pastor, Cal Stack. I remember first hearing his story and just being amazed at the simplicity and the childlikeness of it as a 20-something-year-old man, Cal, 20, 21, sitting in a computer, wondering about his life, had someone talking to him about Christianity and decided to sit down at his computer, opened up Google, and Googled, am I a Christian? Or what is a Christian? Only to discover that he was not one. Very encouraged by a testimony of a couple named Bill and Claudia. Claudia was a Christian. She got to know a man named Bill, began to talk to him about Jesus Christ, invited him to the church, to her church, which he enjoyed thoroughly. After church, Bill was standing in the hallway talking with the pastor, and he was confused. Claudia doesn't think that I'm a Christian. So Bill went on to tell his story, went to talk to the pastor, and he went on and on. The pastor listened respectfully and kindly. And to the, got to the end, and Bill said, well, and the pastor says, I regret to inform you that Claudia is right. You are not a Christian. And we, we live in a culture where to say things like this is almost offensive. To have, to have clarity and certainty is, is somehow an insult to anyone. It is significantly more dangerous, more dangerous for every soul here and all of your friends and family to be confused about what it means to be a Christian and be the people of God. It is significantly more dangerous, and it is offensive to God's name when we are not careful about it. Church, let us be careful that our practices align with our doctrine. In an ever-shifting world, which feels like it is closing in on Christians, we may be more tempted than ever to increase our numbers through worldly ways. We might be tempted to advertise ourselves like the world advertises, we might be tempted to, to give away stuff or try to be cool or have cool stuff or make the church more entertaining and fun. That way more people will come. Well, certainly we ought to be inclined to do what we can to make people feel welcome and come. But we ought to make sure that it's people's hearts that need to change. And no matter what we do, no matter how much confetti we throw, no matter how many fires we start, no matter what smoke we do or what lights we turn on or what kind of songs we do, it is the Holy Spirit of God that is needed and will bring about change in the heart. One author wrote a book about becoming a Christian. He says, too often our confessional theology says one thing while our practical application says something else. We say that regeneration makes us new covenant people of God, but then we teach our kids a moralism that atheists could duplicate. We don't need a heart. We just need you to be good kids. We just need you to be nice we say that Christianity, he says, is about trusting relationship with Jesus, but then we treat it like checking a box on a decision card, and then you're done. We say that only the Holy Spirit transfers a person from kingdom to darkness to the kingdom of light, but then we employ the marketing tools used for getting someone to switch brands of toothpaste. Again and again, we claim in our doctrinal statements about conversion, what we claim in our doctrinal statements about conversion doesn't match what our churches practice and their ministry models. So it shouldn't surprise us that our kids end up being something less than Christian. And of course, this isn't a problem just that affects the home. It affects all of our churches. Church, let us be very careful 
in this day and age? How about those who bear the name of God and what that means? Over 20 years from 1998 to 2017, you may have heard this from me before, the Southern Baptist Convention as a whole baptized 7.5 million people while at the same time decreasing by 6 million people. In total, in the last three years, the Southern Baptist Convention has lost more than 1.3 million people, over 400,000 people a year. This is it because we lost our touch? This is it because we're just not as cool as we used to be? And, you know, those old Baptists, you know, they're, they're no fun. They don't sing and dance and cuss and stuff. I had, I had some jokes, but I feel like it's not appropriate. No, it, it's not those things. In a book I read last year called De-Church, Why People Are Leaving the Church, authors try to track why so many people are leaving the church, why there's a decline, not only in the Southern Baptists, but in so many denominations. And one of the leading reasons is that people are just leaving the faith. They're leaving the faith entirely. And First John would say, those who are not, who got from us, they were not of us. It's revealing there, there might have been a cultural love. They were going because their friends went. They went because their family went. But they were never truly changed in their own hearts and minds to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ himself as a new covenant head. They were there in name only, taking on God's name in name only. Let us be very careful, church. Let us be very careful. It's God's name. And it's every individual salvation that we're dealing with. Let's not beat around the bush. Let's be clear in our doctrine and in our practices. Be careful about yourself and your own heart. Be confident if you are looking to the cross of Jesus Christ as the hope of your salvation from sin and death and you are growing in hatred of sin and loving the Lord Jesus Christ, praise God. Have confidence. That's what a heart of flesh does. That's what the Spirit of God does. And lastly, let me just encourage you to be grateful. Just be really grateful. If you're a Christian... And you have been transformed and transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. Be thankful. Work on being thankful. If you're not a Christian, you should be worried. You should be concerned. How does God look at me? What's my relationship with God? Am I safe in my sin, in my rebellion against God? But if you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, while the world teaches us to be suspicious of everyone, trust no one but yourself, be suspicious about yourself first remember that israel had it all their scenario was so great but their hearts went after other gods if we are saved and god has reached into our hearts and given us a heart of flesh brought us into the new covenant people of god given us his spirit opened our eyes brought us to be born again praise god praise god maybe you found yourself fallen into sin as a christian Confess your sin. Trust Jesus Christ is standing in heaven for you today with his blood offered for you. And be happy. Be grateful. Be grateful. Be thankful. David sinned a great sin against the Lord. Committed adultery. He killed his adulterer's husband to try to hide it. And he had the gall to pray to the Lord that the Lord would restore to him the joy of his salvation. I don't know about you, but when I go and talk to my kids and they're in trouble, I don't like it when they're happy. <laughs> Shows me they don't know what's going on. You're in serious trouble, son. Crack a joke. Okay, well... God's not upset that you're happy. If you're putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting his blood for you and your heart has been transformed to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus and give your faith to him, thank God. That's from God. Let me be very, very clear here. Our relationship with God is not one where God is super thankful that you gave your life to him. That's not the dynamic of the relationship, fundamentally. God is the one who saves us. God is the one who looked down at the old covenant and said, that doesn't work. I knew it doesn't work. It was never going to work. 
So I'm going to do something different because I love mankind. I'm going to start with their hearts in the new covenant. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, thank God. Thank God. When Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, the first thing he says to them, we thank God for this. And that when you heard the word preached, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you didn't just hear it in word only. You believed. So let us say in our hearts and in our minds and leave today thankful. Say what we can only say as new covenant people. The Psalm 9-1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for your kindness to us in Jesus Christ. As men and women descended from Adam and Eve, we've all carried on the nature of sin. We've sinned against you, each of us. We've doubted you, we've hated you, we've rebelled against you, but, but you love us. And rather than leaving us to ourselves, you offer the new covenant, which is to give a new heart by your Holy Spirit inside of us. We pray that you would help us be careful, Father, about our own hearts, be thoughtful, not take for granted, that just invoking your name here and there might somehow please you or impress you, but that it is your work in our hearts which brings you glory for your name. Help us remember that and pursue that in ourselves and others. Help us be careful as a church. Be careful with your name within our own lives and in each other. Help us, Father, just be very grateful for Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins and grateful that you would not leave our hearts as they are, that you might come and change, transform, bring from life to death, from blind to seeing, from doubt to faith. And we pray that you might do that even here today.